0: So that's a text that we're looking at, and we want to look at this text and, and understand the give and the take of the cross. And first I want to talk about the take of the cross, because something's illustrated for us here in this account of Jesus' death. It's showing us both what Jesus takes for us and from us, and it's showing us what Jesus gives for us and gives to us. And both of these uh, help us better understand the tearing of the curtain therein temple. So first, let's talk about the take of the cross, what Jesus has taken for us, how he is forsaken for us. In verses 33 and 34, it's the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So there's darkness. We come into this text here, and there's darkness. Darkness, this darkness represents judgment, God executing judgment. It's, God, it's a cosmic moment that's centered on the cross where God is executing cosmic wrath. We know that because Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is not just the death of a good man or a prophet. This is judgment on the son of God. And so when Jesus in verse 34 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is taking on the judgment, which is the forsakenness from God. It's the severing of the close relationship with Father and Son. This is the moment that Jesus experienced ultimate judgment, cosmic judgment, eternal judgment in a moment because the relationship that he has with the Father is severed. There's no longer in this moment intimacy between Father and Son, and that is the experience. To have God not as your Father but only as your judge is the experience of judgment, and Jesus takes it on the cross. He experiences it on the cross. And so this is just a great picture of the gospel for us, right? Jesus took our sin on himself. Remember 2 Corinthians um, 5.21, we're told that he who was without sin became sins, and he who was without sin became sin. Wow. I had it this morning. It's gone now. Essentially, the general transaction is this. Jesus took our sin, and he gave us his righteousness. He became sin, though he knew no sin, so in him we could become the righteousness of God. There it is. I knew I'd find it eventually. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. We call it the great transaction. That's what takes place on the cross. He takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness, as we'll talk about in a moment. But he took our sin on himself. And when he takes our sin on himself, he also takes the judgment for our sin on himself. He took our forsakenness. He took what we deserved and gave us what we didn't deserve. He took what we earned, and that is judgment. Cosmic eternal estrangement from God. And so what does being forsaken mean for you and me? What does it mean that that Jesus took from us our sin and took for us the judgment that our sin was due? Well, we sang a new song last Sunday. Daniel and the team led us in a song called See the Light. In the beginning of that song, we sang these words, Arise, my soul, remember this, he took my sin and he buried it. Meaning for us, Jesus has taken our sin and he's dealt with it fully. Our sin has been dealt with in a moment. Which means for us, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you feel like you're experiencing darkness and it feels like judgment to you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not being judged. It's not judgment for you. It may be discipline for you. It's a context in which you may be in a hard, a hard season, but it's never judgment for you and me. Darkness is never judgment Uh, In 1999, there was a movie that was released with Ashley Judd and Tommy Lee Jones called Double Jeopardy, if you guys remember that. The late 90s, early 2000s, like Tommy Lee Jones was in everything, and it was a beautiful time in cinema. I loved it. But you have this movie, we have Ashley Judd, and she is framed for killing her husband. Her husband framed her for it. And she finds out later, and so she gets some advice from some other inmates when she finds out their husband's alive and framed her for his murder, which she's paying the price for. That's when she learns about double jeopardy. She says, hey, if you get out of prison, you can go kill him for free because they can't actually charge you with his murder twice. And that's the whole basic premise of the movie, right? But the idea of double jeopardy comes into play here with what we're talking about. If Jesus actually paid for our sin on the cross, if he was judged for our sin, If darkness on him was judgment on him, then you and I will never experience darkness and judgment for our sin if we're followers of Jesus, because it would be double jeopardy. It would be God demanding from us what's already been given by his son. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you will never know judgment. You'll only know discipline. And I know growing up, the difference between judgment and discipline sometimes feels tenuous to us, right? Like, it seems... My parents, well, I think they're being heavy-handed. Now that I'm a parent, I'm realizing that's actually not what it was. It was loving discipline. I just didn't like it. Not liking loving discipline makes sense, but calling it judgment is wrong. God doesn't judge his children because he already executed judgment on his son for his children. It also means that you and I will never be forsaken, not ever, if you're a follower of Jesus, which means when your heart tells you that God has left you and turned his back on you, that's a lie. Your feelings are lying to you. It may be a hard season. You may feel alone, but we have to remind ourselves of the good news of the gospel, which is confirmed to us on the cross. Jesus was forsaken. So the words for us are, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We will never be forsaken, not in this life or in the life to come. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is no story of forsakenness for you because it's been taken from you. So I would ask you... Same thing I've been asking myself this week. What are you struggling to believe that Jesus took from you or took for you on the cross? What are you struggling to believe that he actually took from you so you don't actually have to carry it anymore? What are you struggling to believe that he took for you so you don't have to endure it anymore? Is it that, that sin that you've not comp- confessed? That hidden sin that you've not confessed? I want you to know this morning, the fact, if you're a follower of Jesus and you didn't have not confessed that sin, it's still been paid for. Because there are no sins for the followers of Jesus that have not been paid for. If it's a sin or a reoccurring sin for you they think it's too big or it just keeps happening too often, it's too reoccurring, I want you to know if you're a follower of Jesus, it's paid for. It makes us maybe a little uncomfortable to think that sin that I haven't confessed is paid for, but it is. Because we think, well, if I haven't confessed it, well, then I guess I don't have to confess it. I guess I don't have to stop sinning if grace is so big it means that sins I haven't committed or I haven't confessed even yet are already paid for, then I guess sin's not a big deal. And that's not true. Sin is a big deal. It required the life of the Son of God to pay for it. But what you and I need to understand is when we doubt that our sin has been paid for, it actually drives us away from repentance. It drives us away from God. We're told that it's His kindness that draws us to repentance. The kindness of God saying He's already paid for all of our sins It's what draws us to him, and that's what changes and shapes us. Grace is actually incredibly scandalous, and that is what shapes you and me. We have to know all of our sins, past, present, and future, are paid for on the cross. We will never be forsaken. We don't have time to go into how do you understand like besetting sins, and what if there is no repentance for the same sin for a long time, and is there ways that we need to talk about what that might mean about your spiritual life? Yes, but we don't have time to talk about that. What we need to talk about, and what we're talking about this morning, is don't doubt the cross. Don't doubt what Jesus achieved on the cross, and that was payment for every single one of your sins. Or you may be struggling not with Uh, a a sin you haven't confessed or a sin that you're afraid might define you it may be that you say yeah I believe that Jesus paid the price I believe that he took the punishment that my sin was due but surely he still wants me to walk around with the shame of it so I can show him I'm still sorry maybe you're one of those people you don't doubt that Jesus paid for it but it makes you feel bad about yourself that he had to and so you think well I know I can do something I can just feel shame I'll carry that shame around with me And we need to understand that the cross is also where our shame is dealt with. We're not called to carry our shame. When Jesus died on the cross, when he took from us our sin and he took from us our judgment, he also took from us our shame. He took that from us. You and I should never walk around as those who are ashamed, who feel shame, I should say, over something Jesus has already paid for. That's not how our Father sees us. You and I are freed from that. Jesus took it on the cross. Now, we've got to keep moving, but that's what Jesus took. So the take of the cross is Jesus taking our sin on himself and the judgment that that sin is due. And in so doing, he takes our shame. He takes it from us. But he also gives on the cross. The give of the cross is this. Jesus willingly sacrificed himself. He gave himself as a sacrifice, and he gave his righteousness as a gift. That's the give of the cross. In Luke 23, 4 through 46 Parallel account here, we're told that Jesus called out with a loud voice and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. We're told in John 19, another parallel account, Jesus said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. And lastly, Matthew 27, parallel account, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. He gave up his spirit. He yielded up his spirit. All of this language confirms to us that Jesus died on the cross, not because the cross took his life, but because on the cross he gave his life. And I think that helps us understand what the centurion is seeing and what Pilate is trying to understand. Because Pilate and the centurion are used to watching someone have the cross take their life from them. But uniquely on the cross, Jesus gives his life for us. Meaning that what happened on the cross was not Jesus dying at the hands of evil men there on the cross where the cross took from him his life force. It was the altar on which he laid down his life and gave it up. And so Jesus decided when to give up his spirit, when to yield his spirit. And it's not that Jesus was weaker than the other two robbers and that's why he died first. No, it's because what was taking place for those robbers was the cross taking their life. What was taking place for Jesus was an altar in which he was giving his life. And so what happens on the cross is Jesus gives his life for us as a sacrifice. And the gospel confirms to us that he gave his life for us as a sacrifice. Why? So he could redeem us and so he could restore us. That's what he wants for his people. He redeems us by giving his life for us. He restores us by giving us his righteousness. That's what happens on the cross. And so Jesus willingly sacrificing himself, giving himself as a sacrifice and giving us his righteousness. What does that mean for you and me? Well, one thing it must confirm to us is just how loved we are. That Jesus would give himself for us confirms how much he loves us. There's this moment in um, the Hunger Games where Katniss Everdeen, Uh, She's watching to see who from their district is going to be taken to the games and ultimately probably die. And her sister, her younger sister, Prim, is selected. And so Katniss immediately responds by volunteering herself as tribute, giving herself so that her sister won't have to go. She does that out of love. That's what Katniss does. And that's a good picture for us of what Jesus does. He gives himself for us on the cross because he loves us. And so if we look at the cross and we don't see love, we're not looking at the cross the right way. We're assuming something uh, errant about the cross. The cross confirms love. When Jesus yielded up his spirit, he did it because he loves us. It also helps us understand how we're seen by God. When Jesus took from us our sin, he gave to us his righteousness, which means at the cross where that transaction takes place, when God looks at you and he looks at me, if you're a follower of Jesus, he sees you clean and beautiful all the time. That's what he sees when he sees you. He sees you because you're his beloved and rescued one who's been cleaned. He looks at you and he sees Jesus' righteousness. And this is not uh, us finding a theological way to pull the wool over God's eyes. It's not that we're like sneaking in to God's presence, covered in sin, but we happen to get this really good poncho, this really white poncho that we put over. Now, God knows exactly what's going on with us. That's how we understand our theology, the theology of our justification and our sanctification. At the cross, we are declared justified. We are right before God because Jesus' righteousness has now been credited to us. And then we become more sanctified over time. God works in us so we look more like what we've been justified what we've been declared to be so our life more and more resembles the righteousness that's been credited to us that's what god is doing for us because he loves us and that's why we know when he looks at us he sees us as beautiful clean sons and daughters because he's the one that's cleaned us he's the one that has cared for us in that way uh, i remember talking to some folks some um, acquaintances of mine uh, and they had adopted a handful of children all at the same time and the children were a little bit older. Um, and were coming from an orphanage, uh, and their experience had been a hard one in that orphanage. And so these children would essentially, when they would go to bed at night, they would bring all of their most treasured possessions with them into the bed. And they would also fill their pockets with food when they thought no one was looking at mealtimes because they weren't sure if there was going to be a meal for them later. And so what was happening, it was breaking the heart of their parents, but what was happening is those children were not aware yet that they were the children welcomed into the family. The parents knew it, but the children didn't. That's kind of our story. That's what sanctification looks like for you and me. We don't really know how loved we are and how welcomed we are, how safe we are, but we start to become more aware of it over time. But our father has never forgotten. He has looked at us and said, you're mine. You're my clean, beautiful child. And you'll figure it out eventually. But right now, the truth is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are his clean, beautiful child. So a question for us would be, do you feel loved? Do you feel seen and clean? Like what's standing between you and feeling that way, right? What would stand between you and, and actually believing that you're loved with that kind of love that's demonstrated on the cross? It may be that same unrepentant sin where you're like, I, I know what's going on in me. There's no way, no way that God would love me considering what I know about me. Or maybe it's that besetting sin that you wrestle with and you struggle with. Or maybe for you, it's a, just a shame over past sin. You've confessed it, but you still feel the shame of it. Or you just feel inadequate. Whatever it may be, there's something standing between you and feeling how loved you are. And what you need to be reminded of is the gospel that we see illustrated on the cross. That Jesus yielded up his spirit out of love for you. You will never not be loved. You may be completely unaware of it, and that's a personal issue. The reality is you are loved. My mom sent me a book a couple weeks ago. She told me about the book like a month ago. And my mom knows me well enough when she tells me about a book. I'm like, yeah. I put it on my wish list. And that's like four years from now. Best case scenario, I actually get that book. So this year, or this time, it just showed up in my house. She just is really serious about me wanting to read this book. And so I started reading it this past week. It's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, And it is a wonderful book. And I highly recommend it to anyone because the book's all about coming to grips with how much Jesus loves you. Actually, understanding who Jesus is and His love for you—I highly recommend. I'm only four chapters in, and I'm already highly recommending it to everybody. It's a fantastic book, but it'll help us understand, or help you better wrestle with, actually, I am loved. How whether I feel loved is not really the question. The question is, am I loved? And the answer is unequivocally yes. Or do you feel seen and clean? Like we want that, right? We want to think that when God and others look at us, they see us as clean and beautiful. And the truth of the gospel is when God looks at us, he sees us clean and beautiful. But there are things that are standing in front of us, standing between us and feeling that. It might be that you maybe you feel like, hey, I'm, uh, whether you like it or not, you're like, I feel like I'm just the sum of all my sin. Like I see just the litany of my sin. It just it seems like it's always in front of me, and I just feel so much shame over it. We need the reminder that we are not the sum of our sin. We're not the legacy of our our failures we're not the stain of the darkest moment of our life whether we may want to believe that because we just don't know how not to but the truth is when god looks at us he does not see the list of our failures he does not see the sum of our sins he doesn't see the darkest stain from that darkest moment that you lived he sees the righteousness of jesus and he sees a work in you that's being done that makes you look more and more like what he's declared you to be that's what he sees when he looks at you brian stevenson in his book just mercy he said this, he said, each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. That's a gospel, whether, whether Bryden Stevenson realizes it or not. That's actually, a, that has a, so much gospel in it. It's not that in our, inside ourselves we're more than the worst thing we've ever done. It's that the worst thing we've ever done and all the lesser things we've ever done, they've all been paid for. You and I are all the righteousness of Jesus in the eyes of the Father. It made me think this week of just the way that the prodigal son is preparing to go back to his father. He smells like a pigsty. He's lost everything. He's trying to figure out how he can bargain his way into being a servant in his father's house. But when his father sees him, he runs to him and embraces him because he sees his beautiful child. That's how our father sees us. You and I need to know how he sees us because it will actually strengthen our faith. It will give us hope in the midst of whatever we've got going on this week, next week, and in the years to come. I need to wrap it up, so I want to leave you with this. Like, the give and the take of the cross, it, it's illustrated beautifully when that veil and that curtain is torn in two because the, the give and take of the cross, what Jesus gave us and what he took for us, means that we are fully welcomed. We're invited in to be close to the one who loves us. I've recommended this children's book to anyone and everyone, whether you've got children or not. It's called The Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. And it is a beautiful book, Ill- beautifully illustrated. And the book is all about how when Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden, remember God sent them out of the garden lest they eat of the, of, the no- of the tree of life. They'd already eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He drove them out so they wouldn't eat of the tree of life, which would keep them forever estranged from him. But then in the tabernacle, there is this curtain that has these, cherubim on it these the well these angels uh with their flaming swords and that's the way the book talks about it is that curtain that was in the tabernacle then in the temple was like a big keep out sign and the refrain of the book is because of your sin you can't come in and then the book takes you all the way to jesus on the cross when the curtain is torn in two and the refrain changes and it's no longer because of your sin you can't come in it's jesus has taken your sin and so you're welcomed in that's what happens when the curtain is torn in two, it's an illustration for us. It's an invitation for us, going back to God's design for us. It's a declaration that Jesus has won. We're going to be singing in, at the end of our service, Jesus paid it all. That's a declaration of a, of a torn curtain. It's all been paid for. And it's also an invitation that says, where you once were not allowed, that keep out sign has been turned into a welcome mat. Come in. Come in. Be close. That's why the, the disciples are told, as we've been reading in Acts in our FBO Bible reading plan, stay here because the Spirit's going to be given to you because now the Spirit takes up residence in us. We have the presence, the presence that we couldn't have before, we have in us now. That's because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so the promise for us is a guarantee for our future, but it's also a guarantee for our present. We have access. We're invited to be close to the one Who's given everything for us. And so I want to remind you and me this morning that that curtain that's been torn in two, it means that we are invited, that we are welcomed, and whatever it is that holds you back from running close to God, you need to rebuke it and repent of it. Sin will convince you that God doesn't want you close to him, and it's a lie. Your father wants you close to him. Repentance to draw close to him you and i no longer have to go on pilgrimages to try to find god's presence we don't have to go to a temple and then stand in a courtyard separated by a wall of stone and a curtain from the presence of god we don't do that anymore it's like adam and eve back in in the garden we're like them now do you know what it means to draw close to the lord it means come out of hiding turn from your hiding god is already present there's no pilgrimage it's just turn he's already there And so I want for each of us this morning as the family of FPO, I don't want us to live this week thinking that there is any keep out sign between us and God anymore. If you feel like you're being held at arm's length or you feel like you have to keep God at arm's length, I want you to remember what happened on the cross. Whatever that thing is you're ashamed of, Jesus already paid for it. And when your father looks at you, he sees you beautiful and clean. And what he wants you to do is draw close to him. And whether you realize it or not, what your heart longs for is to draw close to him. So realize that, tur- that curtain was torn into. that keep out sign, exchange for a welcome mat. Draw close to him this week.